This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. On the last episode, Dave and Praj explain how they first promoted their business starting with local print media. In this episode, you'll hear the lessons learned from an entrepreneur duo that launched a $2 million business on Amazon. In this episode, you'll learn what goes into a feasibility analysis to determine if a product will be profitable or not, what to focus on to make your listing more discoverable and sell more on Amazon, and how to identify which marketing channels you should focus on. Today, I'm joined by Lindsay Windham and Nate Justice from distillunion.com. That's D-I-S-T-I-L-U-N-I-O-N.com. Distill Union is a micro-collective creating clever products for your everyday life and was started in 2011 in Basel, Charleston, South Carolina. Welcome, Lindsay and Nate. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Yeah, excited to have you on. So yeah, tell us a little bit more about these uh, these products that you, that you guys have been uh, creating. Mostly we have we have wallets um, <laughs> at this point. We sort of started out as an iPhone accessories business. Um, that, had, that had been our background before we were, uh, I was a product designer with Philips Design and, and Lindsay, a, a graphic designer there. So um, that's sort of the, the manufacturing uh, that we knew, the, the partners, and um, we, we actually started with uh, a product called Snooze, which was a little alarm dock for iPhone. And that's, that's how we got started. Um, and then, um, I mean, our, our name, Distill Union, is, is all about minimizing, and it's sort of our design philosophy. It's, it's uh, you know, taking, taking a product or a design down to its essence, and that's, that's what we, we try to do. So our wallets reflect that. They're, they're minimal in construction, and uh, we really concentrate on, on the, the function and, and sort of minimizing your carry. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So when you made this transition, or I guess when you guys were working more in the iPhone accessories space, this was uh, based on experience from your your previous uh, profession. Like, what were you guys doing prior to creating these? Uh, I guess the, the snooze, which we'll talk about a little bit uh, with your success on Kickstarter, because you've had a lot of success on there, different campaigns. Uh, but when you first launched with the snooze product, when you first developed it, uh, maybe tell us first what is the snooze, and then um, what was your background in, in in creating that a product like that. Yeah, basically, uh, like Nate said, we were with Philips Electronics. We were making a lot of Apple accessories. Um, So when Philips closed our office in Charleston and moved it up to Connecticut, we, uh, a lot of, a lot of members stayed here in Charleston because it's, it's such a great lifestyle and um, we didn't want to leave. So, you know, we went our separate ways and did freelance design and uh, Nate and I met there at, at Philips and, and we'd get together and, and talk about, you know, product ideas that were a little too niche, a little too quirky for, for some, for a larger brand. Um, so maybe, you know, we thought we could just start our own brand and and do our own thing. And, and in under the umbrella of, you know, solving problems that we have under our, you know, in our daily lives. And, you know, what's the first problem that we had was waking up with our iPhones 
Um, it was, you know, accidentally turning off your alarm when you wanted to snooze it, um, losing your cable behind your bed, um, just little annoyances that we just wanted to, to, to simplify, um, you know, improve your experience. And so that's why we started with that snooze dock. Um, and, and really the wallets organically came just from a trip up the street to the Apple store to see sort of what people were, you know, shopping for, what was popular, um, and, you know, was there an opportunity in the market, um, for us to, to solve some things. And funny enough, our problem was we carried our iPhones and didn't want to carry <laughs> other stuff. We, we all sort of hated, hated putting cases on our phones too, even though we designed them for years, we were all sort of minimalists and it was, it was, it was kind of funny that, I mean, Lindsay actually had, uh, just a leather back for her phone to sort of. Kind of, yeah, just the, the stick on skin that would just make my phone a little bit nicer to touch. Um, but when we started um, Distill Union, because we'd done so many cases with Phillips, we said we would never do a case. Um, and then we just got this idea that what if you had a wallet that wasn't a case and it didn't look like a wallet, just super secret, super minimal, solves the problem of, of wanting to carry just a couple cards. Um, and no one sees them. Um, you know, can we, yeah, it doesn't look like you're talking, talking on a wallet. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So that was, that was what, three, three years ago, four years ago and started this, this amazing journey away from Apple accessories, which is what we wanted, you know, to, to sort of branch out and try some different things. And, and the, the Wally wallet sort of grew into this line of minimal wallets. Very cool. So, were the learnings from creating an iPhone accessory, you know, in your in your profession, and then also with the this news product? Not just read kind of headline here from Kickstarter. It's the iPhone alarm dock with a big snooze bar. That's really uh, cool looking. Uh, you can we'll link all that in the show notes. Uh, what were the learnings from creating a product like that, and also in, from working um, in uh, Philips, also transferable to creating a product like wallets? Um, uh- a lot of it, a lot of it was. I mean, our our background is is design. So, the the contacts we made there, um, the mm-hmm. the processes we went through, the I mean, the hundreds of products that we worked on, uh, was was great for that area. What what was really new to us was the business end. I mean, yeah, we thought, you know, how hard can this how hard can this be? How hard can the marketing and the you know the finance end of it? And we learned really quickly um, with the snooze. Uh, you know, just just how important it is to to nail down your cost of goods sold, and then uh, that it's funny. I mean, sometimes we start in spreadsheets now just to yeah. to make sure the feasibility is there for a product. And uh, you know, Kickstarter, we didn't really have an, a great idea as far as what our what our break even was. We we thought we had a good idea. Um, <laughs> we learned a lot uh, through that, and we were basically broke by the end of, you know, uh, fulfilling our Kickstarter. I mean, we'd broken even, but the good thing is we had inventory. Right. It just took a while to turn that into cash that we could reinvest in the company or, <clears throat> or, or pay ourselves a meager, meager yeah. sum. So. But it really did truly kickstart our company because yeah. we were able to manufacture enough to not just meet the backers, you know, pledges, but also open our Shopify store, you know, have inventory, to, to build, you know, to take orders and, and to build our, our following a little bit more. 
um, after Kickstarter. So yeah, you you definitely raise a, a pretty sizable chunk here, almost fifty eight thousand dollars. And again, we'll get into that in a second. Uh, but I want to talk a little about something you you mentioned, which is that you had to really nail down and learn more about the business and especially on the cost side. Like you know, because a lot of times you might have a great idea, but it just is too cost prohibitive to turn into a reality. So tell us a bit more about this process. Like what goes into, uh, I guess, a feasibility analysis that, that you would do typically, you would typically do today, you know, especially after it looks like six successful product launches, at least through Kickstarter. What, what, what do you look at today to, to uh, get a better understanding of whether it will be a, a profitable product, a product that can actually be, be turning, be added into your business? Yeah. And, and there's still, there's still a little bit of sort of nuanced faith there, but we, we start on a much more solid foundation in that, you know, we're familiar with what the minimum order quantities are, um, you know, developing another wallet. It's not as much of a mystery as, as far as what, you know, packaging for that's going to cost or, um, you know, uh, materials. So we have a lot of that nailed down, but when we do a, a new product concept, um, uh, you know, it, it's, it's working with the, with the manufacturers getting, getting, you know, solid estimates up front. We're now a lot more familiar with what, you know, inbound duties, inbound shipping, um, outbound shipping, <laughs> what the mailers are going to cost. We have a, we have a giant spreadsheet that we, you know, it's just cost of goods sold. And we'll, we'll start with that with an estimate and, 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 a you know, a target, <clears throat> target retail cost and and make sure that the numbers work and that's yeah. that's a that's an extremely important document. I mean you can run run the the, the business feasibility and you know you just yeah you, ha- you have to find out what your break even is on that first um, order run. That's that's your risky number. Um if if it's risky at all. So knowing knowing what your minimum order quantity is and then what your landed costs are um I, it's hard to believe I get excited about that stuff now as, as a product designer. I mean, it's so, it's so different than what I'm used to on the creative side, but it is, it's a, it's a puzzle in itself and it's, it's kind of interesting to, to tool around with. Yeah. And you had asked what we learned sort of, you know, after snooze and mm-hmm. you know, we did raise, you know, $58,000, which was, it seemed like so much money. And <laughs> yeah. we, yeah. we, for, for a, I mean, we were bootstrapping it, definitely, you know, doing it out of Nate's apartment and, um, you know, all entirely self-funded and all working, just working on freelance to pay the bills. And, and, uh, with snooze, it was so expensive because we had a cable that had to be certified by Apple. We had an app to develop. We had parts of, you know, the wooden parts were made in Ohio. The aluminum parts were made here in South Carolina. The, you know, the silicone parts were made overseas. Um, and then we had packaging made overseas and everything came together. And we actually spent time ourselves assembling a lot of this. And it was insane. It was a horrible not, idea. Not scalable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't sustainable at all. Um, we learned so much from that. And then that was to simplify. Mm, Keep it simple. Mm-hmm just staying true to our brand ourselves, you know, what's, what makes sense for us, um, and is going to keep the business, you know, able to, to be sustainable and to grow, um, is for us to not spend all of our time doing things like 
assembling a box and packaging that up by hand <laughs> that you know that wasn't going to make sense for us yeah, yeah i yeah. love i love how the, your philosophy for creating a business creating products and the products itself is about simplifying things and i think that's a, a big um, I guess sticking, not sticking point, but a big uh, place that trips up other entrepreneurs, especially first time entrepreneurs where they not, not necessarily go too big right off the bat, but like make it way too complicated, start with a way too complicated product. It sounds like you got, I mean, you guys obviously survived this phase because you've launched products since then you have a, a business today. Uh, but nowadays when you look at a, when you start thinking about designing a product or start thinking about bringing a product to life, how do you determine if it'll be a complicated uh, project or a complicated product? to to create or not well um we we have developed a, a lot of different products so we have a good bit of experience um with you know what it'll take you know i've you know together we've worked on you know chargers and battery packs and cases and speakers and docks and all sorts of stuff um uh, but it is different when it's your brand like for oh, yeah. us personally yeah making that decision of is it worth it to go into production is very different than the decision at some right. things like Philips mm-hmm. Electronics, where a great example is, you know, the new iPhone 7 came out. And for us, we can't afford to take the risk to go, you know, make molds and, and you know, go to tooling and, and make this investment in a guess, you know, on, on, on rumors of what the new iPhone is going to be like. Whereas for Philips, you know, they could afford to take that risk and, and put up that money um, to go into production before the the form factors con- confirmed, even so that they can you know have product on the shelf um, concurrent with the new iPhone launch. So for us, it's been yeah. Does it make sense for our business um, from even just conception? And, yeah, and we, and we have pared things down considerably. Like yeah. we we think more uh, more universal, less specialized. We. We like adaptable, um, mm. you know, both to the device and your use. So we've 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 started thinking a lot more that way. I think when we started, we had yeah. you know fourteen different product ideas, and then we thought, you know, we'll crank these out in a couple of years. And there we were two years later, and we had two products. And we realized <laughs> that the development process is going to be really slow, um, given given our resources. So. Um, we, I mean, last year we killed two projects that we were pretty deep yeah. into, uh, uh, a speaker and a watch we were working on and developmentally it just, it, it, it wasn't working out. Um, so we had to sort of refocus on, on, on some things that were in our manufacturer's wheelhouse, um, and our own. So, and it's also the moment where you realize Okay, well, if this isn't going to work, I'm not sad. I'm relieved. Like, yeah, we yeah, don't have yeah. to do this product if it doesn't make sense. You know, we yeah, we went really far down the development path um, for the speaker, and just it kind of feels good now in retrospect that we didn't force it. Yeah, and one of the things uh, that killed that project is there was another speaker that came on the market, and we liked it so much. Mm-hmm. We thought, you know what? That's a great speaker. They did great. They did a great job. They did. We don't need to make it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm sure this the idea of scrapping a product, scrapping a product that's that's so far into development is never something that 
that uh, becomes easy. Uh, but because you've had so many strings of success, maybe it is uh, something that you can say, you know what, this isn't going to work, but we at least feel confident we can come up with something again because of the track record. But for folks out there that maybe are figuring out their first product for the for the for their entire business, their very first introductory product. What goes into decision like that to to that you guys had to go through to decide to essentially scrap a product when it was so deep into its development uh, process? Good, good question. And I think if it had been our only product, we probably we probably would have launched it. I mean, yeah. there there's a market out there for all sorts of different ideas, even if they're not the best. Um, and and so you know keep you know you can keep that in in mind. Don't get too discouraged there, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you came across this a lot with your freelance clients, mm-hmm. you know, walking through the feasibility of a product, you know, what market research have, has been done on this, you know, have you vetted this idea? Is there demand? Um, yeah. The dream crusher meetings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it, it can be, it can be really tough. I mean, one of the, one of the things we learned about was, you know, competitive product analysis and, mm-hmm. you know, lurk, looking for, for holes in the market and, and needs unmet, uh, or needs poorly met. And, um, yeah, doing, doing your homework and, and really, uh, getting feedback. And that's why, that's, that's why we, we actually like Kickstarter a lot. Cause you get, yeah. you get a lot of really good feedback. Um, and there's not, I mean, you're able to test the market, you're able to get great feedback and you're ha- able to have your, your first production run, paid for you know, if you if you, you got to set set up your i guess your uh your goal so that you're you're covering that that minimum order quantity so that you're you know you're not going to go bankrupt off of this but you know if you don't meet your goal that's a pretty good indication that either either the timing uh right. <laughs> timing was off your product wasn't good your video's bad i mean it could be a few different things but it's a good it's a or good your, test your price point maybe your price, price point's point. way off yeah yeah. 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 Definitely want to talk about the, the feedback uh, aspect of Kickstarter. I think that because, again, you've launched so many successful campaigns, I'm sure you've had to evolve all of your products as you're going through. So I want to, want to touch on that in a second. Uh, but you mentioned, uh, I, I think uh, you were saying that there is a market out there for all types of products and you don't have to be, I guess, first place to to run a successful business to launch a to launch a successful product can you guys say more about that like you do you find that um especially if again if it's your very first product and you're trying to just get your feet wet and trying to launch a business for the first time what are your thoughts on launching into a marketplace that that has competitors in there already that you maybe don't think that you could become the number one uh competitor in that space well i I think you've always got to offer an advantage some some hook you've got a um i mean there there's some people and their hook is only price <laughs> okay. uh, and you might do really well on amazon selling you know thousands of these things and at low margin like cheaper than anybody else cheaper than anybody thing, else that's some to some people that's innovation but um i think you've you've always got to have a convincing factor um whether it is just doing something a little differently um there's 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 going to be a niche out there mm-hmm. you, you need to meet a Mm-hmm. meet a need, um, whether it's, uh, function, you know, form, uh, material or, or a price. Uh, I think, I think those three things, mm-hmm. um, you got to find, find your hook. 
Mm-hmm. And for again, for first time entrepreneurs, is there one of those factors that you would recommend someone to focus on when they are thinking about launching a, a product that is not completely new, but is maybe a redesign or a, a different perspective or approach on an existing product? Is there one of those factors that you think is much easier for a, a first time entrepreneur to tackle? I, <laughs> I, I do, I do know. Uh, price is uh, the easy one. I hate to encourage that because mm-hmm. you know we've, we've had uh, folks come after us and compete only on price. Um, yeah. And you know that's, I mean, <laughs> personally that that's not the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, would be you know I'd, I'd encourage people more more on the on the function side, but it it really depends on what your what your strengths are. If you're not if you don't have a product design background, um, and that's that's not your strength. Um, yeah, maybe it's sticking with what you know and, yeah. and letting mm-hmm. your, you know, letting your message come across clearly to your consumer. You know, if you really strongly believe that you've made a product that has this improvement, you know, it's up to you to communicate what that is. You know, why this functionality or why this material is better. Um, you know, what it is that your product is going to do for them. Um, and turn it into, you know, your marketing challenge to um, differentiate with your brand, um, you know, give people something to get behind and believe in. Yeah, otherwise it is, it is, it does sort of turn into a commodity and you're sort of stuck with the, yeah. with with a race to the bottom on the pricing. And I think that's really, that would be actually pretty tough for a, someone starting out. Uh, that That does take a good bit of capital to... Mm-hmm. Because then you're dealing with low margin. Yeah, it definitely requires a lot more scale, and then also just experience, right? On on um, getting those costs down, I think uh, is not something easy to tackle when it's your first your first time through. Um, so I want to talk now about the the first successful Kickstarter campaign, which again is the, the snooze. You had a goal of fifty thousand dollars raised, uh, fifty eight thousand um, dollars from six hundred and fifty backers. So you mentioned earlier that that you guys just broke even on, on this project and were essentially broke after it. Uh, so tell us about that. Like, you know, what was the, did you, did the cost of producing all of these, uh, the, the, all of these uh, products uh, become greater than you expected? Like what was the reason that you guys came so close to, 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 I guess, down to the wire? Yeah. Uh, I, I can, I can remember a few of the things that were a surprise. Uh, we, we knew what the inbound duties would be. Um, I don't think we had, I don't think we had the numbers nailed down for inbound shipping. Um, and we were late. Did we have to airship? We airshipped it. I think so. Yeah. Um, so that was a considerable difference. (laughs) And then, and then our outbound shipping, uh, that was off. We really underestimated how much it was going to cost for us to get a snooze to the person who bought it. Especially um, overseas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so to, to complete the packaging so that the, the product itself itself was nice, um, you know, that packaging actually had to be approved by Apple since we our goal was for it to be in an Apple store. So we, you know, we had the, the cable was certified and approved by Apple and, you know, that took a lot of time, not money, but time. And, and then once you have that final thing, you don't want that to get messed up in the mail. So you, you know, what rate are you going to ship this at? How are you going to, what kind of mailer are you going to put it in? You know, are you going to spend a lot of your time wrapping things in bubble wrap? And, you know, how do you print your labels out? What's, you know, 
what's, <laughs> what does it look like to fulfill the products um, and to get them out into the world? And I think we just, we thought it'd be, I don't know, $2. Yep, that sounds good. And just totally underestimated the, the effort and cost. Yeah, um, I had to eat a, to few, get the products eat a few thousand dollars here and there on the on the shipping. Um, and then I think our, our packaging costs were more expensive mm -hmm. uh, than we thought. Um, the app, that was an oh, interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we developed an app for that, too. And yeah, I mean, that was four years ago, an app. I felt, I, you know, that apps could be $5,000 if your buddy makes apps, or it can be $50,000 if, mm -hmm. you know, want something slick and and uh we ended up having to sort of rebuild the app after um getting started and i think that that was a, a surprise yeah i mean you guys are basically launching two products at the same time with the software and the hardware especially for your first launch cannot be be easy i def, definitely don't envy that that experience that you guys had to go through um so since then i'm assuming you guys have had a better uh, I guess approach towards figuring out your expenses. Like, what what are what have you done? Right? What are, what kind of uh, numbers or do you, do you look at today to make sure that you are better at nailing down the expenses and don't over or underestimate how much it's going to cost to get the end product to the to the customer? Well, we're not doing any more apps. <laughs> done. <laughs> Decision made. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was a lot clearer sort of looking back at the project. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, looking at all the surprises, I mean, every, you know, every cost then became a column in that spreadsheet. So, um, you know, there's, there's the initial cost of goods, then there's, um, in inbound shipping and we always calculate for air because frankly, we've never shipped anything by sea. Um, <laughs> we're always crunched for time. I mean, even if you're having things shipped within the States, you know, accounting for that shipping cost. Yeah. So you got, you got, outbound shipping you got you've got advertising costs you've got there's a you know mm -hmm. a cost of cost of money there's you know that uh, packaging cost if that's separate there's um pick pack warehouse costs there's you know warehouse storage costs um advertising was was one of the big surprises yeah. and unknowns and continues to be uh an unknown we we have a better idea of what on average it costs to get get someone to buy something from our website, but um, you have different costs for different channels where you move it, so you sort of have to have a blended average. But based on Snooze and some of our other projects, our our spreadsheets are getting more and more accurate. Um, so, I mean, you you definitely uh, learn to sort of be conservative with it. <clears throat> so once you had this uh, the the funding to get that initial run to get that inventory in, how do you remember how much? So you had obviously had to fulfill how many like 600 or 650 all 650 um orders or like how many did you actually have to send out how many of the uh the snoozes did you have to send out uh yeah so we had we had 650 backers uh, i think we had close to uh 800 uh i think snoozes that we actually sold so some of those were multiples yeah our our minimum order quantity was 1500 units mm -hmm. so that's what we, that's what we had to order and <laughs> after after Kickstarter, I mean, we were there. There we were. There were three of us who started the company, and there we were selling maybe three or four a day, like max. <laughs> so, uh, so there wasn't a lot, a lot left over. And this was all coming just from from selling online. You guys weren't selling any in any other channels at that point. That's right. Yeah, that was all. All uh, at that point, our Shopify. 
Yep. We hadn't opened an Amazon channel or anything like that and, mm-hmm. and really hadn't pursued wholesale. Yeah, I'd imagine with you know over 600 backers, um, $58,000 in, in, in capital raised through Kickstarter, that there would be a lot of buzz still that would carry over once you had that inventory in place. Um, but it sounds like only you know a few at a time, which didn't meet the expectations that you guys maybe had, and it probably take forever to to sell off that other half of the the minimum order quantity that you purchased. Did you guys do anything else in that time to to boost up the numbers? Like what helped you push through and and sell the remaining, uh, I guess, half of the inventory that you had bought? Well, I mean, I think it was you know a very unique product. It was simple and quirky and a good gift. Um, so we did get some great coverage and like, um, USA today and Esquire and, um, and just people picked it up because it was uh, interesting and different. And so we did get press, um, and it, did, and it didn't helped. take too long to sell through. I mean, things, things did pick up. I mean, the, but the bumps were, I guess, smaller than we expected. I think we got in USA Today and saw, mm-hmm. what was it, maybe a bump of 200 units? Oh, yeah, the New York Times. New that York was Times, good. yeah. That was great, but it, it's so fleeting. It, it didn't, the, any sort of press that we got didn't sustain itself. It, yeah, you'd see it a bump for two days and then it'd go away. Um, so we saw, we would see that consistently. Um, there were very few blog posts that had like staying mm-hmm. power. So we were I mean, definitely working on, you know, new product ideas, what we were going to do next, you know, just to keep the momentum going. And we did reorder snoozes. I mean, I think our next order was 2000 pieces. And, and luckily at that point we had designed the snooze for the iPhone four. It was made to perfectly fit the iPhone four. The iPhone five came out <laughs> and it was a different form factor, mm. but it still worked. And oh, it, nice. We were we were very relieved, um, <laughs> and then the iPhone six came out, and it just absolutely didn't fit. Um, and, and, we're, and we're no way we're going to do this again. <laughs> and we didn't want to make a bigger <laughs> snooze for the six, so we we end of life that product, and and that's the the most recent Kickstarter that we did was Stanley, mm-hmm. um, and that was obviously the the result of our of our education on snooze it you know it's a universal product it's not made to a form factor you can use it with with any phone it's a stand that's flexible literally you know you can bend it um use it with any phone use it with any you know cable that you already own or case yeah or case yeah just yeah simplified that (laughs) product yeah so you mentioned before that one of the biggest benefits of launching a Kickstarter was the is the feedback that you you got. Did, how much did, did the feedback actually change the products? Like, were there any products that you guys released that had significant changes due to feedback from the Kickstarter community? A lot of a lot of preferences, sort yeah. of colorways. It's a good it's a good way to test that. I mean, we saw you know with releasing the cases, we we thought we came up with some really cool colorways, and they were like white cases. We were like, what what was the uh, the stormtrooper, I thought would do really well. No, the we, black and white one. <laughs> we sold twenty of them and <laughs> had to kill the colorway. And at the same time, you know, a lot of people were asking for colors. Yeah. And you think, wow, so many people want a green one, and then you realize, oh, it's like four people. So, <laughs> you know, just definitely, you know, taking taking feedback into consideration and, and considering your your own, um, you know, your own sort of plan to launch and. We, we know to give ourselves a little bit of room as, as far as, um, you know, what color is, as well as pull tab going to be, um, you know, that's something that we can, we can change, but, um, yeah, feedback, f- feed, feedback. I mean, 
Well, the reason feedback is so good from Kickstarter is because you're you're much more connected with with Kickstarter backers than you are your average consumer because there's sort of this, I mean, there's this platform for that interaction, and it's a very open interaction. So everyone's very honest. And- yeah, yeah. I mean, you'll you'll see it posted on on the boards on the project board, um, and uh, and you know you're 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 able able to respond to. To, to everyone and there's there's I think there's just a feeling of more accessibility um, amongst the the Kickstarter backers so we we hear a lot from them um, you know product product feedback or you know if there are quality issues it's a great way to work things out um, you know make things right with them improve the product on the next mm-hmm. on the next round um, and it's yeah it's been it's mm-hmm. been great for um, to, to have have that feedback and then and then we'll we'll go and, and change the product on the next round. I mean, one of the first things we did was uh, on the on our Wally bifold, we we changed the the color tabs because mm-hmm. it was yeah. kind of confusing as far as organization. On the front side, we had them both the same color as the back, um, and you, you would kind of forget where you put your business cards or your your um, personal cards. So you know, we changed the Change the pull tab color, and a lot of people um, really appreciated that that yeah. change. Yeah, and I will say one thing that's interesting about Kickstarter is that it it's a different market. You are marketing to people who, you know, they like to have the latest and greatest. They are early adopters. They love being mm-hmm. involved, um, and that's not necessarily true of the rest of the retail market. So after we did the stick on uh, the Wally uh, stick on wallet. That did really well on Kickstarter. And 2,000 backers. When, yeah. when we tried to take that stick-on product to retailers, they were not interested because <laughs> that's a scary thing to, like, to sell something that sticks mm. to you. Mm-hmm. So they said, please do a case. And so we thought, oh, gosh, we said we'd never do a case, but if somebody's going to do it, it's going to be us. So let's make the Wally case. We did it, and it wasn't very successful on Kickstarter because it, it's boring. It's, Everybody knows yeah, about yeah. pieces. Um, there was the, there wasn't that perception of innovation um, that I think people on Kickstarter sort of expect. But the case the case sells much better on our website and um, to stores. So yeah, I've heard this time and time again about the difference in the, with the the product offering on Kickstarter versus on retail. Even things like the packaging come into play when you the people that on Kickstarter expect something different than what retailers would expect. And you hear this all the time, right? About listening to your customers, getting their feedback. But of course, you can't get everybody's feedback. And a lot of times, you just kind of have to extrapolate what six people might say, and hopefully assume that that's what the majority of uh, your customers, potential customers, also think uh, but in the cases where you did listen to them and it worked really well in one case in one market but didn't work on others like how today how do you take that kind of feedback and understand and i guess decide what you should run with and what you shouldn't run with especially when you, you have essentially limited data you don't have data on everybody out there how do you decide what you should be listening to and what you should ignore hmm, that's a great question I, I we love sending out surveys you know just doing a survey monkey to ask for you know ask about experiences. Um, and, um, I don't know, usually we're on the same page with people. It's rare <laughs> that we are shocked at mm-hmm. you know, a request. Um, what, what are you, what are you usually asking in these surveys? Well, uh, either, you know, importance of features or like ranking 
Uh, I mean, yeah. we, we did one recently on the uh, Wally Micro, which is our, our credit card sized wallet. And, you know, <clears throat> we also, you know, we manufacture some things in the U.S. as well. And, and we were curious. I mean, we all, we all assumed that that was a major factor. And when we asked that made in the USA, that made would, in the USA would be a decision breaker or right. maker for somebody. And it was, it, it ranked very low, um, especially when, I guess, compared to just size and, and price. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it was, I think it was fourth out of five. And the fifth, the fifth uh, interest <laughs> was that it was reversible. Which oh, was yeah, like, yeah. We were really excited <laughs> that this is like the first leather reversible wallet nobody, ever. Nobody cared. And that like nobody really cares about that. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, good for us to know. So now when I make the packaging and I design you know, the messaging on the website, I know that that's not like the number one point for right. me to hit home. Um, it's, you know, there are other things that are more important, the size and um, the simplicity of it is what people liked. Mm-hmm. So uh, lots of success on Kickstarter. Um, again, six, I see six campaigns here successfully funded. Your latest one was actually this year. Uh, one thing though that, that I've been hearing a lot lately is just about the saturation though uh, in crowdfunding, specifically with Kickstarter, that is a lot much harder now to compete in and get the attention and get the kind of ball rolling with the organic discovery of new new projects. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? What do you think? Are there, st- are there still opportunities in crowdfunding, or maybe are there are the opportunities different than what they were back when you guys launched uh, your very first Kickstarter campaign in 2012? I mean, it does seem saturated. I know just me as someone who likes to shop, quote unquote, on Kickstarter. Um, I do less shopping, and I and I'm more interested in seeing you know what the innovations are. You know, backing these projects that have raised almost two million dollars, or you know, it's. Uh, or it's a familiar brand um, that that I just am excited to support them. Um, and I think I don't know doing doing a product launch on Kickstarter and off Kickstarter. You know, we've done them both ways. Um, it's more fun on Kickstarter. It's a lot of work, <laughs> um, but I know for us on the back end, um, I don't know. I think. I think our next product, which is very different and mm. not a wallet at all or even leather, um, I think we'd love to do a Kickstarter again. And you know, and we've definitely considered maybe Indiegogo or, or another or another route, um, another crowdfunding platform, um, or just you know hosting it on our webs our own you know page and and doing you know a thunderclap and like raising raising money you know as pre-orders, but. I don't know. Kickstarter feels like it's it's part of our of our DNA as Distill Union, so um, I'd like to I would stick with it. Yeah. But it depends on the product, you know, the time of year. I think that's fascinating. You know, the coolest cooler that it launched around December, the first time it was introduced on Kickstarter, and it failed, and you know, didn't didn't meet its goal, and then re- reintroduced it around summertime, and that's when people are shopping for coolers, and it just went crazy. And I think that they learned a lot from their first campaign. They improved their marketing and they sold it at a time that was, you know, appropriate when it was on people's minds. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and like you're saying, it depends on the product. Not every product makes sense to go on Kickstarter. And one of the things you mentioned in the pre-interview questions was about how with all the marketing channels out there and methods, it's easy to feel like you have to do it all. And you mentioned that as a small company to stay sane, you guys only do what's authentic and you stay true to the brand. And, you know, Kickstarter is, you know, obviously a sales channel. You're, you're taking money from people and eventually giving them a, a good in return. But it's also very much a marketing channel just to bring more attention to your brand, bring more attention to the products itself. Other than Kickstarter, what other channels do you guys focus on today? And how do you identify which ones are true to your brand? Well, I mean, Amazon is a huge sales channel simply because that's where so many people shop. I think for us, we just realized, you know, that's where I'm getting my toilet paper. That's where I'm getting, you know, a, a lot of stuff maybe we should sell on Amazon and, and getting involved on Amazon and then also being part of the Amazon Prime, you know, fulfilled by Amazon program. Um, that made a huge difference for us as far as opening up a channel um, and seeing returns. Um, otherwise, I mean, Facebook is, is, an, is for advertising, um, remarketing on Facebook. So bringing people back who maybe they've landed on our website because of a blog post or a friend recommended them or, or something, but, you know, they're just curious about Distill Union. They haven't heard of us. They haven't heard of Wally Wallets. So they, they look and they don't buy anything. And then, you know, Facebook magically reminds them that there's this thing that they, that they shopped for. And, um, I think that's been our most effective, um, sort of marketing channel. Very cool. So Amazon, you mentioned was another, was a, a big win for you guys. When did you, when did you roll out the, the products into Amazon? Uh, we started in earnest, I think it was in 2013. Um, mm-hmm. and we were, we were just selling, uh, fulfilling from our warehouse and then things really picked up when we started doing, uh, Amazon Prime, which was yeah. you know, you know, four or five months later. I mean, it it was just night and day difference. I mean, if you if you want to be serious about Amazon, ship it to their warehouse and let them ship it Prime. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's a it's a great channel. I mean, 40 percent of people on the internet shopping in the U.S. start their their product search mm-hmm. on Amazon. So you can't. It's a juggernaut, and you can't ignore it. So it's yeah, it has been a, a, a great channel and a huge learning curve. Yeah, you can yeah. shop on Amazon all day, but listing yourself on Amazon is very interesting, and there's a huge back end because there are so many sellers, and we definitely learned yeah. um, figuring out how to do it right. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's best. I mean, if you own your brand, um, I mean, one of the one of the difficulties with selling wholesale is that you can have a wholesale customer who buys stuff and you know, they, they're going to say they're going to sell it in their brick and mortar store, but they'll turn around and sell it against you on Amazon, which then you're just on a, a sort of a, a race to either <laughs> exhaust their inventory or uh, chase them on price, you know, yeah. down. So we really, we, we put a lot, a lot of effort into controlling our brand on Amazon um, and making sure that that we're the only one selling it. I mean, it protects our wholesalers, um, right. and you know we're able to keep our our retail price where it should be to protect our wholesalers um, and and everybody else <clears throat> that we sell to. Mm-hmm. So you, we said earlier that the business started 2011 and you went into Amazon 2013. Do you feel like you should have gone in earlier, or do you do you think that your a business has to be at a certain stage before launching in Amazon? We absolutely could have gone in 
earlier. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. If, if I, if I could go back and change one thing, I would have, I would, I would enter that market earlier. And again, that was based on our experience with Phillips. They had a relationship with big box retailers like Target or Walmart or Best Buy. So that was the model that, you know, we wanted to try to um, sell into these, you know, larger retailers. Yeah, we thought that's the way it needed to be But meanwhile, (laughs) sort of not taking the time to reflect on, well, how do we personally shop? If, If we are making products that solve problems in our lives and our target market is very similar to Nate and Lindsay, how do Nate and Lindsay shop? They shop on Amazon. Like, I think that light bulb could have could have gone off a lot sooner. <laughs> yeah, we, we just didn't realize the, yeah. the potential of it. I mean, we saw the merchant fulfilled orders trickle in, and I thought, you know, eh, how, how much better could Prime be? It was night and day. Yeah. 10, 10 15, 20 times different. So yeah. what, what were some of the, can you share some of the, the big lessons or a big lesson or change that you guys made to your business on Amazon, whether it means the product listings itself or just the way you conduct the business on Amazon that did help you sell more through Amazon? It was, I would say, um, like Nate was saying, owning your brand, owning your product on Amazon. So um, when you sell into a wholesaler or even to a distributor, it's totally possible that others can can hijack your listing. Um, so at one point, even our brand name was spelled incorrectly because Amazon gained control of the listing, and um, we or somebody else did. Some, yeah. yeah, it was very strange. Um, so I think just from the start, being very clear with if you have wholesalers um, to have a a, a solid. Um, no, no, not a non-compete, but just an agreement to not sell on Amazon so that mm-hmm. you, you can manage that, um, that listing. Mm. And, and we've had people even break that. So you've just got to vet, yeah. you got to vet them. Um, if somebody orders, uh, 200 wallets and they have one retail store <laughs> in some, somewhere that's pretty rural, uh, that's a good sign that they're also going to take that and sell that online. <clears throat> through Amazon because Amazon's really one of the only channels where you can move that sort of volume. Yeah, that, that that's a good point that that the wholesalers you work with can eventually end up competing with you and obviously you guys had experienced that. And you mentioned before that you guys were already were you guys already so you're fulfilling yourself at first and then you went into Amazon's FBA or fulfillment by Amazon and that's when things that's when that's when business really took off for you on Amazon. It it picked up initially, and that was that was good business. It was it made things more comfortable. We were mm-hmm. uh, we were able to sort of step off um, from freelance. Yeah, I think finally. around then. Yeah, yeah a few finally. years in, we were able to focus on the business and and not do um, jobs on the side to to make rent, which was huge. Um, and then and then it was because we were um, a, a decent selling wallet on Amazon that someone. Um, who happened to be uh, a blogger, bought the wallet, was personally impressed with it, and then reached out to us um, to interview us about it. And honestly, that was the turning point. So it was, you know, the chicken and egg, but we wouldn't have gotten such great coverage on Slate if it wasn't for um, having a, a decent performing 
wallet on Amazon in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely like a snowball effect where once you get it rolling, a lot more attention comes your way. Um, so, you know, speaking of the, the growth of the business, can you give us an idea of the growth or success of the business today? We're at about $2 million in revenue per year. Um, and that's uh, that's up considerably <laughs> from where we where we were uh, a few years ago. Yeah, just two years ago. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. You know that that's an amazing number to hit, um, and and obviously a lot of success comes from from Amazon. Like you guys are giving credit for it. Uh, are there keys that that you guys keep in mind when you put together a product listing to make a product more discoverable on Amazon? If someone's thinking about putting up their product for the first time or launching a business on Amazon, are there specific things that you would recommend they spend a lot of their energy on, a lot of their time on, that would actually result in in potentially more sales? Um. Yeah, there there are a lot of uh, tools uh, to to research sort of what what keywords uh, keywords are good. I mean, the the best thing you can do is you know clear clear bullet points, include the the valuable keywords. There's uh, I think it's Merchant Words where you can kind of uh, do, do some research on what what people are searching for. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a subscription to that. There's uh, things like AMZ Tracker. Um, that that allows you to you know track your success and your keyword ranking. Um, there are, there are a ton of scary tools <laughs> that allow people to come in and um, uh, do some do some some great market research. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of people use that to to knock you off. Um, and that's that's sort of an unfortunate side of Amazon, and they're they're. They're starting to to deal with it more um, and and protect some of the original designs uh, um, that that third party sellers sell there. But it's a it's it's a gold rush out there. Can you use pro- uh, tools like this, Merchant Words and AMZ Tracker, if you're just trying to figure out what products to to sell? Yeah, you absolutely could, uh, and a lot of people do it that way. A lot of people sort of reverse engineer. Um, they'll they'll. Yeah, absolutely. Do, and, and that's sort of, I mean, that's competitive product analysis. You see what sells really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's a, that is an interesting, interesting world um, because yeah, it is completely hackable. I mean, <laughs> right. design piracy is something yeah. that you try not to let it uh, break your spirit as a designer to, to see things, you know, straight, just copied. Um, and yes, I'm sure that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, but but really it is a it is a, a crummy sort of business model for some right. uh, for some on Amazon, especially to to see what's selling well and to reverse engineer it and. Mm-hmm and take that that market share so gotcha cool so i want to talk now about your your site now not so much just about amazon but one cool thing that i noticed on your site were was this pop-up in the corner called the still perks and i clicked on it and it's essentially uh, a gamification i guess of your entire store where you can you can gain points for referring friends creating an account making purchases and then you can trade these points in i'm assuming for like a it's like a gift card or something to spend on the store itself Tell us a little bit more about this. Like, how, how is this uh, this particular program going for you guys? It's going really well. We actually that uh, program is Loyalty Lion, uh, and we had before used another sort a similar sort of loyalty um, app on Shopify. Um, the idea was 
to just encourage people to um, share. That was ultimately what brought us to the app, um, to share purchases with friends. You know, the offer, you, know, you get $5 back if your friend orders something. Mm-hmm. Um, and we weren't able to execute that offer, but what we what we found was with something like Loyalty Lion, we can incentivize people to earn points or perks or, you know, uh, credits uh, by doing things like following on Facebook or uh, writing a review. We use a Yopo um, to write reviews, um, to, to gain reviews from from uh, customers um, so they can earn points that way. Um, uh, sharing their birthday so that we can send them a birthday present, uh, anything like that. Um, and they can at any point cash in their rewards for you know, $5, $10, $20, free shipping, um, different levels of, of perks. Um, so that's been really fun actually over Black Friday and Cyber Monday. This this whole weekend we've been rewarding everybody with, with double perks. Oh, so, nice. yeah. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> it's great. It, it just brings keeps people engaged and, and you know, and hopefully brings them back to, to come uh, buy what's new. Yeah, it definitely makes your store a lot stickier. It makes people want to come back because they've you know, accumulated all of these points and they rather spend it with you guys because they have all these points to redeem, all these rewards to redeem rather than you know maybe go on, on a channel that has a lower profit margin for you, like on Amazon, for example. Uh, so any other t- apps or tools? So you mentioned Loyalty Lion, uh, Yelp Poll for your reviews. Any other re- tools or uh, apps that you use to, to help run the business? We definitely, from the beginning, I think ShipStation is our number, our number one recommendation. They've just been so, they were so easy to set up, such a great price, um, and took all that fulfillment um, and just bungled it up so neatly and nicely. And and so ShipStation, something we can't recommend enough. And um, using Stitch Labs for our our inventory, so going in between Shopify and. ShipStation is Stitch Labs. Um, yeah, just like, knitting all our channels. I mean, even and, yeah. Amazon and uh, eBay, all our channels on Amazon. I mean, we sell EU, Japan, um, yeah, in every country in Europe. So, it's, so yeah, Stitch, Stitch Labs. Stitch Labs has been been a lifesaver. Nice. So, what do you guys want to see the, the brand uh, be this time next year? Any a lot of product launches coming up? Like, what do you guys want to focus on in the next year? Yeah, we have what at least two products next year that have nothing to do with wallets. Um, yeah. and we're so excited. I mean, <laughs> we've been doing wallets for four years now, and and honestly, like they said, when we started, we had you know fourteen different product ideas, and it, we thought it would be a much more diverse sort of product assortment. So um, next year is going to see us finally getting. Yeah, getting that diversification, um, which is so much more fun for us too. Um, I get to write the packaging for something totally different. Some variety. (laughs) No pull tabs, something different. (laughs) Um, And, yeah, so having a website that's a little bit more um, diverse, a more fun experience, um, something that you could start to see Distill Union making a difference in your life, not just in your pocket, you know, not just uh, a wallet or a stand, but um, some other things that, could make Distill Union a problem solver, a go-to problem solver. for. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. 
Cool. Yeah, excited to see what you guys put out. So thanks again so much for your time, Lindsay and Nate. TheStillUnion.com, again, is the website. Anywhere else you recommend a listeners go and check out if they want to follow along with the products that you guys have out now, the products that you guys are going to be releasing soon? Well, we've been using the stories on Instagram. That's been really fun just to do like sneak peeks because they disappear. Um, so we don't have to be uh, quite so careful with what we're sharing. Um, so definitely some sneak peeks on Instagram and um, maybe – I'm curious about Facebook Live. Yeah. I'm very nervous yeah, we, about we it. We need to get more into that <laughs> next year. That yeah. would be really fun. And I know that Kickstarter is starting a, a live sort of interaction with oh, um, yeah, with, right. with creators. So um, I feel like we can do that. We've, we did that with our a lot of our updates we'll within, within yeah, campaigns. So might as well try that. Well, next year, once you guys launch uh, a, a bunch of other products and try all these live uh, platforms, we'd love to have you back on to talk about the success with all of that. So again, thanks so much, Lindsay and Nate. Again, distillunion.com. We'll link all the, the social channels up in the show notes as well. Again, thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks, thanks. Felix. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.